What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Robin Schwartz on today's episode. I'm so excited to get to know a little bit more about her. Robin, I'm just going to toss it. You start wherever you like with your story. Okay. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, This podcast has been tremendously helpful to me uh, over the course of this journey. And I just wanted to say thank you for having it. And thank you to all the women who have shared their story because it truly has been a lifesaver for me. Um, so I wanted to start a little bit further back than uh, most people. A lot of people seem to start with their husband, but I think my before story also kind of um, like lends to it. So for work, what I do is I'm an infant and toddler development specialist. So uh, basically every state has an early intervention program for kiddos birth through age three with um, developmental delays or disabilities or syndromes. And I work for the Florida version of that. So basically I'm a PT, OT, and speech all kind of like wrapped into one. And I um, basically help little ones uh, reach their developmental milestones with or without disabilities. I mean, some of them are preemies, some of them are in foster care systems, some are just delayed. So um, that's what I do for work. So babies are literally my whole life. Um, And going back even further, kind of just explaining my journey with all of this. Um, So my mom actually Uh, always told me the story about how she had ovarian cysts growing up. Um, And she ended up actually needing to have an entire, entire ovary removed and half of the other one actually taken out. So she always thought she wasn't going to have kids. And um, she ended up getting pregnant with my sister really easily. She was like 33 at the time. And uh, the doctors were like, that's a fluke. That's not going to happen again. And um, lo and behold, she got me pretty quickly also. So um, she always taught us growing up, like, be careful. The women in our family sneeze and get pregnant. So that's kind of like the mindset I always had, like, oh, it would be super easy. And um, I have an older sister, as I said, and uh, she actually got pregnant at age 21. Um, it was an oopsie, literally a, a one night stand in a bar kind of situation. And that's how we got my niece. And um, when she was 23, she decided, oh, I want my, my niece to have a sibling. And she got pregnant right away again. And it was twins. And, um, you know, the irony in that situation is that my mom never really wanted kids. She didn't think she could have them and she didn't really want them. Um, and my sister had some emotional issues growing up. So she's not always been this most stable parent. She actually lives with my parents. My parents have a co-custody of her kids. So it's pretty ironic that both of them had kiddos really, really easily, no problems, and kind of segues into my journey. So 
Um, I am married. I met my husband, Adam, in 2012. We actually met at a Dave Matthews concert and um, we dated for five years. We got engaged and we got married in 2018. Uh, Adam wanted to wait like a whole year before having kiddos. He is super into traveling and we travel quite a bit and he wanted to do more like big trips before we uh, were, you know, stuck <laughs> with a baby. So he really didn't want to wait or really didn't want to try for like that whole first year. But I kind of was like, oh, I don't really want to wait. We're already, you know, in our late 20s. I'm, I'm ready. So, um... In February, after our honeymoon, we went on a late honeymoon. Um, we went to Thailand and uh, uh, Cambodia, so we did not want to be pregnant on that. So after we got back from that is when I got off birth control. And I had been on birth control since I was 15. So I assumed, like, this is going to take some time to get out of my system. And um, I also should mention that um, down here in my friend group, there's a group of us that are all best friends. It's, there's eight of us, which I know sounds ridiculous that eight of us are best friends, but we've all been friends for like 15 years now. Um, we all are like getting married and having babies at the same time. So, which has been really, really special to us. Um, last year, four of the girls had babies and, um, two girls are having babies this year. So, um, was hoping to share in that journey with them. But anyways, got off the birth control in February and we started trying in April. And around the same time, I had um, a really bad stomach ache issue going on. Like I just kept getting these terrible stomach pains and they were upper stomach pains. Like, so the doctor sent me for a CT scan um, to check my gallbladder. And of course my gallbladder came back perfectly fine. Um, but they noticed that in the CT scan report that they wrote that I had some fluid in my lower abdomen and that I had a tilted uterus. And I was like, what the heck is a tilted uterus? So I brought it to my gynecologist and asked her and she was like, oh, we'll just do an ultrasound to check it. And um, when I went in for the ultrasound afterwards, I was in her office with her and this was a transvaginal ultrasound, which I was not expecting. And your first one is quite a surprise. Um, and I joked with her and I was like, do I look pregnant? And um, she was like, oh, let me, let me look at your paper, uh, your report. And she was like, oh, well, your lining is six millimeters, which is too thin for a pregnancy. And it's also too thin to be getting your period. So like, where are you in your cycle? And I was like on day 23 and I was in my head like, well, I'm either pregnant or I'm getting my period. So this makes no sense. Um, and she was like, eh, whatever, don't worry about it. Sent me home. But I panicked. I was like, okay, she said that like, I'm supposed to be like one of these things or neither of these things. And I, here I am. And, um, of course, well, I got that, I got my period that night and I freaked out and was like super Googling and, um, you know, online, it's super scary. And they said, uh, basically that a lot of women who have been on birth control for a super long time, not like three or four years, like I was on it for 14 years, um, sometimes can have thin lining as a result. So the next day I called her back and she said to me that I should come back in on the next cycle around, I can't remember if it's day 21 or day 23. Um, and she would test my progesterone and I was like, okay, well, so 
in my head, I was like, okay, I'm not going to come in the next cycle. Like I'm going to do everything in my power to make it better. I got acupuncture every single week. I was taking like all these crazy vitamins. I was drinking teas. Like I was doing everything I could that I could find to increase my uterine lining at the same time, still actively trying with my husband and getting a negative every single month. And, um, I know it doesn't seem like that long of a time span, but the thing is like, I have shorter cycles. My cycles typically were 25 or 26 days. So there were months that I was getting multiple negatives. So, um, that was really, really hard. But, um, in July I went back to the doctor and I was like, okay, it's going to be better. Like I have done all this stuff and, um, I got the blood test and it came back at 4.5. And she told me that to get pregnant, it really should be over 10. And um, she said that she didn't do reproductive stuff like that anymore. She was strictly gynecology. And she said that I really should see a reproductive endocrinologist. And I was just like, what? Like um, everyone else in my family like got pregnant so fast. Like how is this happening to me? Um, but I really am like a go, go, go kind of person. So like, boom, I like left that office. I cried and I scheduled an appointment with an, a, a doctor. Like I was ready to go. Um, so I scheduled an appointment um, at an IVF Florida, which is like a huge chain down here. We have like, it's literally a chain. Like there's multiple of them all over the place, but they're huge, huge facilities. So I was like, cool. They'll know what, what they're doing. Um, so I scheduled the initial consult with the doctor right away. I was able to get in like the next week and he basically explained the process of like the testing to me. And, um, for those women who haven't gone through the fertility testing, it's pretty extensive. Like they do a pretty like, um, in-depth blood panel on you. I remember when I went for blood work, they took eight vials. Um, and then they do something called an HSG test, which is where they inject die into through your cervix into your uterus and take x-rays um of your uterus and your fallopian tubes this is super painful um not not something that i would want to go through again um and then they also did an ultrasound to count follicles and everything is really timed out um to your cycle um and I should mention that while these, this testing is happening, my husband was out of the country. He was actually in Africa. He was on a, uh, a safari with his family, a trip that I had declined going on when they were booking it because I thought I would be pregnant by then because when they were booking it, it was December of the following year, of the previous year, and, and we're talking about August of the following year. So we're talking about nine months, and I was like, I'm definitely going to be pregnant. And I wasn't, but, um, so my husband was in Africa and also at the same time, my dog who I'm like obsessed with, she had a small surgery, which ended up having massive complications and she ended up needing two more surgeries. So it was like as bad as it could get. Like I was having fertility testing and my dog was having critical surgery at the same time. And my husband was in Africa and I was like, Lord help me. Like I was really, really, really like on the verge of a breakdown, but I, I made it through. He returned, he had his semen tested and everything came back with that. Okay. So the doctor brought me back in for the like results basically. And he told me that I had PCOS, which I'm familiar with, but I was like, how could I have PCOS? I have none of the symptoms. Um, and he told me that my ovaries at the time of the ultrasound had 27 follicles on them 
And he said a normal woman would have 10 to 15 during that time period in their cycle. So um, despite the fact that I had no other symptoms, I had regular periods, I never had bad bleeding, I don't have um, any facial hair, I don't have um, obesity or anything like that, any of those issues, I don't have any of that, but I do have the, a lot of follicles. So with that, he diagnosed me with PCOS, um, and he was like, oh, it's just misunderstood. Like poly means multiple and cystic is those follicles. So when people think that they have this or that, it's actually not true. It just means you have a lot of cysts. So you're on the good end of that spectrum. And I was like, okay, so I've had this syndrome my whole life and just never knew. Cool. But, um, so he said the protocol for me would be getting, um, letrozole and ovidrol. So I've heard it on your podcast, talked about a couple times with the letrozole, um, and so for anyone who hasn't listened previously, letrozole is an estrogen blocker. Um, the way that it works is someone once said that it was developed as a, a breast cancer medication. And that's true. When I picked it up from the pharmacy, the pharmacist was like, sweetie, do you know what you're getting? And I was like, yes, thank you very much. Um, but it's an estrogen blocker, which allows your eggs to mature. You take it during your period and it'll, it blocks the estrogen so your eggs can mature better. Um, and then Ovidril is a shot that you inject into your stomach um, around the time of uh, around the time that you're supposed to be releasing an egg, like it depends on if they do it with an ultrasound and tell you when to do it, or you could just do it when you have the natural LSH spike. Um, but Avatrol is actually made from HCG, which is um, obviously the pregnancy hormone. And they actually get it from women's pee, pregnant women's pee, which I thought was super gross because you're adjusting it into your stomach. But No way. I did not know that. That's really interesting. <laughs> I'm a consumer of information. So um, <laughs> if I'm putting this in my stomach, I want to know what it is. And yeah, you get it from women's pee, which is just like super gross to me, but whatever. If it was going to work, I was going to do it. So, um, okay. So in September I started, did round one. And, um, like I said, it's super, super regimented. They are really specific with, um, testing and, you know, we have to take the medications, uh, day three to five, I three to eight, I can't remember, but you take the medication and then, um, then you go in the next week and they take blood and they measure your estrogen and then you go back the next week and they measure your progesterone and then you have to do the follicle like ultrasound to see if you ovulated and like it's super like every single week you are going into the IVF clinic and um, did all of that. And then like I said, the Ovidril, the shot that you do is actually the HCG. So a lot of women test out the shot, which means you literally pee on a stick every single day until you see that the test is negative. So that if you do get a positive test, you know that it's a true positive and not just the shot still in your system. So the first cycle I did that, which was insane. Like I literally was taking a test every single day and driving myself crazy. And you know, it was getting lighter and lighter and lighter. And then I'm just like, okay, is it going to get darker and darker? And it didn't, it didn't get darker. So that was really stressful and disappointing and expensive. Like the pregnancy tests are not cheap. Um, so the next month, October, I'm like, okay, round two, here we go. Did it all again, went through it all. And, um, in October, I was like, I am not going to pee on a stick. I'm not going to do this again. Like when it's time, like when I don't get my period or do get my period, I'll know. Um, and like I said, my cycles are super regimented. I've never had late cycles or anything like that. So, um, day 29 of my cycle came and I was like, okay, still no period. 
Um, and I mustered up the courage to take a pregnancy test um, and it was positive. And I remember going into like the living room and I'm like, Adam, it's positive. And he was just like, what? <laughs> like super shocked. Um, and the next day it was super light, but in the morning I took another test and it was a little bit darker. So I called the IVF clinic as soon as they opened and they're like, okay, come in for an HCG test. Went in at like 9 a.m. They didn't call me with the results until four. And um, they said anything over 50 would be pregnant. And the doctor called me, said, congratulations, you're 59, you're pregnant. I was really, really, really happy. Um, so every couple of days, they bring you back for another HCG test to kind of make sure that uh, the uh, hormones are doubling. And they were, and I was just like ecstatic. Um, but at the same time, I was really scared. Um, and I don't know about other women. I can only tell my story, but I had some cramping when the baby I assume was implanting or uterus was stretching. We don't really know, but I had a lot of cramping going on and no one really talks about that cramping. Like for me, I don't, I never really had bad periods. Like I hardly cramped. And so I was like, something is wrong. Like I have ectopic or I'm you know, something's bad going on. And, um, at five weeks and five days, I begged them to bring me back in for another test, um, for an ultrasound, because I was like, I think I'm having an ectopic, like I am in pain. And, um, they brought me back in, they did the ultrasound and the doctor was like, you're fine. <laughs> like, there's nothing wrong. Like that could be round ligament pain. It could be your uterus stretching or whatever. Like you're good. Go enjoy Thanksgiving. Cause this was like the day before Thanksgiving. And I was like, Okay, cool. So I went out of town with my husband. We went to Thanksgiving with my family and I was just like super happy. Um, and a bunch of people knew I was pregnant. I should also share that like, cause all my friends knew I had been on this journey. Like I said, we were all kind of getting pregnant at the same time. And I was the lucky one that had some issues. Um, they say one in eight women has fertility issues and I was the lucky one in our group. Um, so everyone was super supportive. So I felt it was only fair to share with my close friends that I was expecting. Um, so come back from Thanksgiving and, uh, I was supposed to have another ultrasound. And, um, before that I kept reading about the term missed miscarriage. Like it kept coming up, like in my baby apps and in the groups. And, um, I would say when you do fall pregnant or when I fall pregnant again someday, like I am not going in these like community sections on the baby apps because like people share the scariest stuff. And for me, like miss miscarriage just kept coming up. And so I read a lot about it and I was very like obsessive about, um, I, I just listened in another one of your podcasts. Someone talked about the website where they can like calculate your percentage of likelihood of miscarriage. Like I was on that website every single day. Like which I now know is means nothing, but um, it was just a term that kept finding me. So I was like very much in my head and people kept saying like, are you excited? Are you excited? You're finally pregnant. And I was like, no, I just, I have to get to this next um, appointment. I have to make it to the next one. And then the next one, like I'm, I'm not out of the woods. And, and I really didn't allow myself to really get my hopes up about it. Um, I guess as like protection for myself. But um at six weeks and six days, I had another ultrasound and my husband actually came with me this time and we were able to see the heartbeat, see and hear it. 
Um, and I remember crying in it and uh, the nurse looked at me and she said, happy tears. And I was like, yeah, like you don't even know the happiest tears. Um, so that was it. And then I left and um, at the uh, reproductive endocrinologist, they only see you until you're nine weeks and then they discharge you and you have to go to a regular um, OBGYN. And like I said, my GYN did not do fertility, did not do OB anymore. She left that kind of in the woods. And so I was like, okay, I need to find a new OB. So at my last ultrasound appointment, I came with a list of doctors and my RE was going to um, recommend someone that he thought was good. So I went and I was eight weeks, five days. Um, my husband did not come with me to this appointment because he had a meeting at work and I was like, I'm fine. We're, we're good. Um, so I was sitting there in the waiting room, <laughs> my list and, um, the doctor was running behind and I waited 45 minutes for my appointment. And then the, um, tech, the ultrasound tech finally called me back. And this is the same tech that has done so many of my ultrasounds at that point, because like I said, super regimented, tons of ultrasounds. Um, and she brought me back and she's doing the test and she's scanning and scanning and she's silent. And eventually I just said, is it there? <laughs> and she, I remember this so vividly. She said to me, um, it's there. I'm just not seeing everything I want to see. Um, and in that moment, I just knew, I knew 100% in my heart what was happening. And I asked anyways, um, I said, is there a heartbeat? And she was like, I'm having trouble finding one. I'm going to go get the doctor. <laughs> He'll take a look. And she left. And I was sitting there in the dark because the lights were turned down with this paper sheet over my waist um, alone, twiddling my fingers. And I'm like furiously texting my husband, like, where are you? She can't find a heartbeat. But he was in a meeting, so he wasn't answering me. And um, the doctor came back in. Uh, with her and laid down and did the test again. And he looked at me and he said, I'm so sorry. There's no heartbeat. And I, you know, tears are just strolling down my face because I knew at that point. And um, he said to me that she was measuring one day behind. So it, my baby had literally passed the day before. And I was just like, okay. And Immediately he went into, he gave me like one of these like side awkward doctor hugs. And then he went into the, uh, we could wait for you to pass naturally, but you have no symptoms and this could take weeks. I could give you a pill at home and, and or you could pass it at home or, um, I could, we can do a DNC. And because I had done so much reading about mis miscarriage, uh, I already knew that I would prefer the DNC because the thought of walking around with my baby inside me, um, I just couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't do that. And I was scared to pass it at home because a lot of people had shared some horrible stories and scary stories. And I just didn't want to do that. So I said, okay, I want the DNC. So the doctor said, go get dressed and come and the nurse will talk to you about what happens next. Um, and I stepped into the bathroom to change. And at that point, my husband called me and he was like, what, what happened? And I said, there's no heartbeat. The baby died. Um, and he's like, I'm coming. And I said, just meet me at home. <laughs> Cause the doctor was kind of far from his work and I knew it wouldn't, wouldn't make, make sense for him to come there. So, um, he 
hung up and uh, the ultrasound tech walked me to the nurse and the nurse, you know, sat me down. The one thing I would say about this doctor's office is they're pretty good about this. I think they're used to it and they know to do all the scheduling and the paperwork for you. So basically you just sign and that's it. And they schedule it and they take care of all that for you. Um, and the nurse, her name was Nadia. She was so sweet. She looked at me and she said, we were so close. And I was just like, literally we were so close the day before the next day I'm supposed to be discharged from here and I'm not. So, um, you know, I check out, I barely make it out without losing it in the lobby and, uh, I leave to go home. Um, and the clinic is close to my work, but not close to our home. So it took me about an hour to get home from there. And I was just crying the whole way home, sitting in traffic. Um, and it was a gloomy, rainy day. And I finally get home and my husband's there waiting for me. And I was just like, I just want to change because I, I wear scrubs for work. And I changed out of my scrubs and I, um, I just collapsed on the floor and I just cried. I cried like the hardest I've ever cried in my life. Um, and I think I stayed that way through the whole weekend. This was a Thursday. Um, and the following day, Friday, I was supposed to go uh, actually to New York for my cousin's wedding. And I couldn't go. And what's crazy is I kept having these visions of being able, being, having to tell her that like something was wrong with the baby and I couldn't come. I know most people envision themselves holding their baby, but I just have it having this vision of me saying, something happened and I can't come. And that's exactly what happened. I had to call my family and say like, you know, I, I lost the baby. I can't come. And, uh, one thing that was also challenging was, um, you know, having to cancel all the flights and the hotels, uh, because, when you call up and you say like, Oh, I had a medical emergency. Like the airlines are like, okay, whatever. We hear that excuse all the time. And, um, my husband was making the calls for me and they were like giving him a hard time about giving us our money back. And I said, just tell them, just tell them. And he goes, look, my wife had a miscarriage and magically the airlines refunded us. So, um, I thought that was pretty obnoxious of them. But, um, so anyways, I had to go through the whole weekend and, um, I had, all the symptoms still, I still had my nausea. I still was exhausted. I still, um, just was miserable. It was just torture. I could barely eat. I, I was not sleeping. I was just laying there at night crying. And, um, the thing is like, when you find out you're pregnant, like you immediately are filled up with so much love. And then when you lose your baby, you still have all that love. It just has nowhere to go. And, um, it was just the worst, the worst feeling. Um, so Monday comes, I go to the hospital. They bring me back for pre-op and, um, the nurse was super nice. She was trying to be nice, but, um, she could tell I was upset and, you know, when you go for these procedures, they ask you over and over, like, what are you here for? <laughs> because they want to make sure that they don't do the wrong procedure on the wrong person. So you have to keep saying, I'm here for a DNC. I'm here for a DNC. 
the first time um, I had to say it, the nurse literally looked at me and goes, oh, honey, don't worry. You're so young. I would kill to be 30. You'll have more. And I was just like, oh, but I want this one. Like, you know, like, I hope I'll have more, <laughs> but I want this one too. So then, and the hospital was, um, a little discoordinated, like they, uh, four anesthesiologists came in to like read my chart. And I was just like, and every single one was like, what are you here for? What are you here for? And by the time the fourth one came in, I just started laughing and they're like, what's so funny. And I'm like, you are the fourth one. Like, can I just get the ball rolling, please? Um, finally the doctor comes in, he says, hello. He had, uh, been with another patient and I was thinking in my head, like, I wonder if that patient was unlucky two um and he was like okay we're gonna send the baby's dna out for testing and um find out if there was something genetically wrong and in that moment i remember praying that there was something wrong with my baby and that it wasn't me and that my body didn't like kill it or not support it or something like that and i remember feeling so awful thinking that, but I, I didn't want to be responsible for why it didn't live. So they wheeled me down for the surgery and, um, you know, they have to wheel you through the, uh, the hospital. This is not my first surgery, but it was the first like this. And, um, I, you know, you pass all the other doctors and the nurses standing in the hallway. It looks like a scene out of Grey's Anatomy. They're all staring at the board and I'm crying. And I remember thinking like, they think I'm scared. I'm not scared. <clears throat> I'm just really sad. And, um, you know, the doctor, they put you on the, the surgery table. And I remember falling asleep with the doctor wiping my tears away, which is like a really nice thing that he did. Uh, so I wake up, recovery, everything is fine, still crying, and um, I just wanted to get out of there. So as soon as they were ready to let me go, I was like, we're going, like, I'm out, like, I can't do this anymore. So, um, and recovery overall, not so bad. Uh, I'm, in, in the long run, I'm happy that I chose to do the DNC because I was able to uh, not be in a tremendous amount of pain. I mean, there is bleeding and cramping, but really nothing terrible. And um, that week was Christmas and um, wasn't so jolly, but we made it through. So that weekend <clears throat> we were going to Aspen on a ski trip. It was a trip that we had planned all year. And, uh, I was really not in the mindset to be going on this vacation. Um, it was with my husband's boss and some of his coworkers, but his family was also coming. So there was a ton of people going on this ski trip and I was just like, pull it together. Like you are going to Aspen. You are still lucky. Like, look at you. Like you're going to this beautiful, magical place for new year's like perspective. Right. So, um, day one of skiing. I'm in the gondola. I should mention, I don't know how to ski. My husband is a super, super skier. He has grown up his whole life skiing. And I, my parents did not bring us on vacation growing up. My mom used to say, if I bring my kids, it's not vacation. So that pretty much sums up my childhood there. But uh, I had ski lessons and 
my husband brought me to my ski lessons and we were riding up the gondola and there was a little family, a mom and two kids. And um, she kept saying the kid's name and the kid's name was Brighton. And Brighton was the name I had picked if it was a girl. If it was going to be a boy, his name was going to be Harrison. But if it was a girl, her name was going to be Brighton. And the mom kept saying it because the kid was misbehaving. And Brighton's not a common name, you know. I'd never even met a single other person named Brighton, but um, she kept saying it because he was misbehaving and Brighton, Brighton, Brighton. So by the time we got to the top of the mountain, I was sobbing <laughs> uncontrollably. And uh, while I was getting fitted for my ski boots, the, they kept asking me, are you scared? And I was like, I'm not scared. Change the subject. <laughs> like, I'm fine. But I did it. I made it through the ski lesson. Um, second day of skiing, terrifying. And I was just like, F this. Like, I do not need to be scared of all the emotions that I feel right now scared is not another one that I need to feel because like the most awful scary thing already happened to me so like I don't need to be scared more so literally after an hour of ski lessons I clicked off those skis I was like bye and the, <laughs> the instructor was like no 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 just go get some hot cocoa and I was like no you don't understand I'm done <laughs> I don't want to be here so um that was it. The week kind of carried on. I refused to go skiing again and um, New Year's passed. And I mean, again, I'm just like faking it, like 100% faking it, smile on my face because we're with my husband's boss and I just don't want to be sobbing in front of him. And um, so January 2nd, the doctor calls uh, 9.30 in the morning and he said that he got the DNA results back. Um, it came back that my baby uh, was a girl, so it was Brighton, um, and it came back that she had two syndromes, actually. She had Down syndrome, which I am super familiar with through my work, and I always said, actually, that if I had a Down syndrome baby, I wouldn't mind. Like, I would be super, super happy, like, because I have so much wonderful experience with Down's kiddos that, and I just know the beauty that lies in their lives, and I would have been so happy with that. But she also had something called Turner's, and Turner's is a deletion of, the, of an X chromosome on one of the links. It doesn't really matter which one, but it's a deletion. Um, so with Turner's, one in 2,500 babies actually have it, but only 99% 99, 99 of them miscarry. And uh, Turner's can be uh, found to be up to 15% of all miscarriages. So. I found that really interesting. Um, so, but the, the odds of having a kiddo with Down syndrome at only 30 was one in 500. Uh, like I said, the odds of Turner's is one in 2,500. Um, and I, I'm, I'm a consumer of information. Like I said, I'm reading and reading and reading and reading and trying to find out what, what caused this and was it my fault? Did it come from me? Um, I only found one paper uh, on the combination of the both. And they said to get that combination of Turner's and Downs, the odds were one in two million. So that was really hard. Uh, I basically cried for like three hours that day. I just wanted to go home. I did not want to be in Aspen anymore. I was miserable, but I couldn't get a flight out. That was it. I was stuck. Um, and then finally get home, uh, had the post-op with my doctor, and he basically told me, it's bad luck. 
He said, I've been doing this for over 30 years and I've never had a baby with that DNA combination. He said that uh, genetically, it probably wasn't my fault. There was nothing I could have done differently. Probably shouldn't happen again. Try again. Um, he said that uh, I'd have to go through two normal periods. And then on the third period, I could start that medicated cycle again. Um, but that was it. He didn't even like check me or anything like physically. He was just like, okay, see you in a couple months. Um, and they wanted me to come back every single week to measure my HCG levels, which I did for the first couple weeks. And it was going down and down and down. And then when it got to 16, they're like, oh, it's still not zero. Come back next week. And then I was finally like, what am I doing? Like, I don't need to be coming to this clinic every single week to have my blood drawn. Um, I counted. And by that point, I had had 17 blood draws in like the span of four months. And I was just like, I don't need to come back here. Like my levels are going down. Like I don't need to be traumatized every single week by this. Um, and my husband, uh, all through all of this, he was super supportive, but also for him, it was kind of like a sigh of relief. Um, because like I said, he was ready to start trying at our one year anniversary, not be pregnant at our one year anniversary. And I think he had originally like gone into panic mode when I said I was pregnant. So, um, you know, he said I was, he was just starting to get excited when I lost the baby. So then for him finding out that there was something wrong with her for him, it was just like a, whew, we, we really came close that time. Um, but he doesn't have a lot of experience with kids in general, let alone kiddos with disabilities like I do. So for him, I think he was like breathing a sigh of relief, but he was trying to be positive and he's like, okay, well the next two cycles, like without, you know, without the medicine, we can still try. But, um, it worked out that the, this last cycle, he was, um, actually out of town. He's skiing again, <laughs> also with his boss. So um, I guess we'll try again the, the next cycle, but kind of that's where we're at right now. We're in this like limbo of waving. So, and I know that like, if you are trying to get pregnant, are pregnant, anything like that, the waiting is so hard, whether it's like waiting till you ovulate, waiting till the two week wait, waiting for the nine months, like all the waiting is just like every day feels so long. But um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're at right now. And I always ask at the end of every episode, if you have one piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be? So I thought about that already, but I had two pieces of advice. Um, the first one would be to talk to people who have had a miscarriage. Um, you know, a lot of people just say, reach out and talk about it. But I was, it was really hard for me because like I said, everyone around me is, seems like they're having these easy pregnancies and they don't understand. And it's super frustrating when people say, I understand what you're going through when they don't. Um, and also for me, it really helped to hear from women who said I had a miscarriage or I had two miscarriages, but then I had an a healthy baby. Um, that's really helpful for me to know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and the other thing for me, specifically me, um, would be to spoil yourself. I don't think we get enough credit for how traumatic this experience is. Um, you know, 
your baby died. And whether you are four weeks, six weeks, 15 weeks, or stillborn or whatever, like the baby you wanted so badly passed away. And I think that you need to handle yourself with care. So for me, that meant like my new thing is I am buying really expensive face creams. Um, but whether it's a, a facial or a manicure or going for a hike or going on a trip or whatever it is, spoil yourself and treat yourself kindly and let yourself do things that are not related to having a baby. Um, you know, someone told me that uh, she, after she lost her baby, she put all her focus into making her body as healthy as possible for the next one. And I was just like, I just want to eat cookies. Like, I don't want to make my body as healthy as possible. (laughs) That's not helpful. Like, I want to just pamper myself in whatever way that looks like. Um, So, so yeah, so take care of yourself and, and treat yourself kindly because you did something really, really hard and you survived it. And that deserves a reward, I think. Yes. I love that so much. That's great advice. I don't think we've really heard that yet either. So I think that that's awesome. Now, if somebody wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? Um, I guess through Instagram, my handle is uh, robinivy21. It is private though, um, but if you just message me or whatever, I'm happy to chat about it. Um, I just keep it private because I find that a lot of my clients, the parents kind of blur the line between we, I'm your therapist and I'm your friend. <laughs> and so I have to keep it on private mode. But if anyone wants to chat, they can reach me through there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Robin, for jumping on this morning and sharing your story. And I wish you the best of luck. You'll have to keep us posted. I will. Thank you. Yes. We'll chat soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together. 